everyone. My name is Jen. And my name is Kat. Thank you for tuning back in for another episode of CMNSU and Friends. This week, we will be continuing our careers and communication segment with our lovely guest, Christopher Chung. Hi, my name is Chris Chung, and I'm a reporter at the TAI. Um, we're based in Vancouver, and I mostly cover urban issues. Okay. Um, so basically, just to cover the, the kind of beginning of your career, how would you describe your, your job and your day-to-day tasks as a reporter and page editor for those who might not understand what that would entail? Yeah, so um, we just go out and collect stories. So I think some people might think that as somebody who, who works as uh, you know, a reporter for a news organization, that we have um, you know, like a media pass that we can go to anybody and make them talk to us. But really a lot of the, uh, the tools that we have are things that anybody has access to. So it's just you know, picking up the phone, um, like going through um, no longer a phone book, but you can just go online. Um, diving through social media or looking at, um, yeah, like history books, things like that. So, um, yeah, most, you know, it's, I think anybody can do journalism, anybody can do storytelling if they really want. So, yeah, a day for me would be to just think about about what I might want to write about, um, interview that person. Um, I like to take my own pictures as well, so I'll bring my camera with me. Uh, and then, yeah, after you go out and collect everything, you go back to the office, sit down at the computer, and try to bring it all together into a story. For sure. Well, so have you always been interested in a career in journalism? Um, was this something that, you know, from a young age, you've always wanted to go into? Or when did that kind of interest start for you? Yeah, so that's the interesting thing. I, I used to almost never read the news. I would only read the news maybe if I was interested in a particular topic. So I started out with an English lit degree at UBC. Um, but what I really ended up falling in love with was sociology at UBC. Um, I had a class that was about uh, the urban environment. Um, I'm really into food and I was able to take this really amazing course about the sociology of food. Um, another on like the history of media. And so I think all of that together really helped me unpack like the world around me. And for me, I, I grew up in Vancouver and I've, I've always really enjoyed exploring the city. That was something, you know, my parents would take us around. And also in, in high school, uh, I, I didn't go to high school like in the downtown. I went to this high school called Hamber and driving was a really, really big deal for a lot of my classmates when, when they were just about to get their um, like their end license. And I ended up failing my my end test six times. Um, oh and so it was kind of a blessing in disguise because that forced me to do a lot more walking and a lot more busing and uh, I think enjoying the city at a much slower pace um, and yeah, like going out with my camera and I, you know, I like to eat. So that took me to different neighborhoods around the city. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I think that um, paired together with the, you know, some of the, the big ideas that I would learn in sociology um, led, led pretty well to um, journalism, which I, I kind of randomly picked. Um, I just thought it'd be something fun to try. And I, yeah, so I, I, I first, wrote a piece for the UBC, um, which was our school paper at, at UBC, but mm-hmm. it was just a listicle on like fun summer treats to eat that are cold. So please don't go find that because it's not a very good piece. <laughs> um, but I, I, was, I emailed every publication in, in town um, right before I uh, was about to go into journalism school because I, you know, mm-hmm. I did not have any experience whatsoever writing news articles. Uh, and everybody said no because they said I had to be, you know, actually part of a journalism school uh, as a student. Mm-hmm. But the editor of the Vancouver Courier was really, really nice, um, and he was like, "Sure, when do you want to start?" Um, and so I ended up just, you know, doing three months there, and I I learned journalism just by um, just by doing it and looking at what other people were writing. So um, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, it really is something that you, you can, it, it's like a craft that you can learn. Um, and I know, you know, journalism schools are still a pretty recent thing. Um, so you don't necessarily have to have like an academic degree, um, though that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Like it's something that you can do just with the experience. I was gonna ask because I figured English lit and sociology when I was doing the research, I, I figured those degrees, even without a loan, if you do have your foot in the door with the, a news organization, you could in theory just kind of climb the ladder that way without getting a master's. So I guess you said you kind of were already on the route of getting 
into the master's program for journalism when you got the Vancouver career or were you kind of testing the waters with career before you got into the master's program? Yeah, so I was I was just about to start in the fall. So it was it was that summer before that okay. I went around, yeah, looking for for any kind of experience. Like I was telling people, I was like, you don't have to pay me. Um, <laughs> though I think that's of course a requirement. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be writing articles. Like I'm really happy to do anything. I really just wanted to learn more, like what it was like on the day to day. Um, so I was, yeah, I think I was very lucky that, um, yeah, my editor then, uh, his name's Barry, that he just trusted me and just started assigning stuff to me right away. Um, so awesome. yeah, I, 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 yeah, I felt um, it was nice to be part of a team. Like we were in kind of like this basement and every day, like everybody would gather around the table and just, you know, throw out story ideas. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun and it was a really good introduction to what it's like writing for a newspaper. Mm -hmm. Cool. Could you touch more about your previous internships? I feel like personally, like as a student, I know nothing what it's like to intern at any kind of media news organization, so. Yeah, so um, I, I was lucky that at, at both of the places I was at, so the Vancouver Courier, uh, and then later I, I did an internship with the TAI, where I work now. Both of them, you know, they really didn't want to be a place where I just, um, you know, got coffee for people. They really wanted me to be able to, um, you know, take something out of the experience and also um, add something, you know, to the newsroom um, with whatever I was writing about. Um, and yeah, it was, I, I had a lot of really, really great mentors at both of those places. Um, like I, I think before, you know, coming, coming from an English lit background, you kind of think that, you know, writing is something that's all about the person who's, who's actually writing it, right? Like I, I used to think that any kind of control was a bad thing. Like, I don't want, you know, as a writer, you're like, you're, you're this writing genius. You don't want anybody to try and limit all of the good stuff that you're putting out there. Um, but, but doing this job really taught me that, um, you know, it's, it's good to have that collaboration. It's good to have um, an audience that uh, is able to give you feedback as well, because I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like I'm, I'm writing a book um, and then I don't really, um, hear from people like while I'm doing the actual writing like every you know every day I could be writing a piece I get feedback from people online people write to me um and you know having sometimes you can go way too over the top as well with your writing um so having a, an editor to rein you in uh is, is really great and and to have your back as well um like I'm, I'm somebody who's actually quite introverted so once I, I wrote a story um about this uh, about a woman who lived in a neighborhood that was very noisy uh, and she got really mad because I had mentioned um, like uh, that she lived with her mother uh, and then it had nothing it, it was about you know their family um, like living together in a neighborhood that was noisy but then she called my office and then uh, left a message saying you know like why did you include that that's private information I'm going to get you fired from your job um, and I've and I felt that I had done my due diligence, but then I still got really, really scared because this was like, this was probably the first month I'd ever written something. Oh uh, but then my boss at the time was just like, oh, don't worry about it. Like that's, that happens all the time. That's not a big deal. So <laughs> that's, on, that's a very, very small example, but it, you know, for, for bigger stories, bigger investigations, it's really nice to have, um, yeah, like somebody on your team who really supports what you are doing. Um, mm -hmm. And, and when you get threatened, even if it's not like a, a legitimate threat, um, yeah, who will stand up for you? Yeah, totally. Um, where was I? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, so just before we get into kind of your career after your schooling, um, what was your biggest takeaway from your master's program? I know that as a, someone who's interested in journalism, I didn't want to go just to journalism school. I wanted to kind of take the undergraduate route as well. Um, getting it, once you did complete your, your master's while you were doing some internships, what do you think your biggest takeaway now as a working journalist, um, would you say from the journalism program? Yeah, um, so I think I, I was in a very special program at UBC where they really emphasized doing a lot of academic research. So for our thesis, you know, you don't just write a, um, like a 4,000 word piece. You also have to have like a 4,000 plus word lit review. Um, and they also made us take 500 level courses just as a pass fail. So we could really like immerse ourselves in whatever beat it is that we're interested in. Mm -hmm. um, so I think having some of that, um, like some sort of expertise, like some kind of theory from a field that you're interested in is really, really helpful. 
because so when we're writing a piece nowadays, you know, we might not, it, it might just be really focused on, um, you know, like one particular thing that is happening in isolation. So for example, um, you know, if we're writing a piece on, oh, um, Richmond has a very large um, Chinese population. And then people will think that, oh, okay, this is like, this is a, a greater Vancouver phenomenon. But then if you look at the theory, um, like if you've had th that kind of background and you know, um, you know, what are the kind of push and pull forces of migration, then you realize like, oh, well, Richmond is just like one of these immigrant suburbs in Vancouver. Like, there's some in Toronto, there's some in California, um, there's some like outside of New York. Um, you know, somebody who studied it and called it um, ethnoburbs. And so I think for anything, anything that you study, um, having that kind of background to back up like the everyday work that you do as a journalist, all of that gathering uh, really helps to put things into perspective. For sure. I think that's such a, you can really tell when there's good journalists out there that actually have, especially when it's a topic, like for example, with COVID, if they have no health background and no idea of how public health systems work, you can definitely tell when they've done their really good research on that because they just have like a, a good nuanced way of explaining it. And that's always way better than just kind of guessing like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, it is really exciting to have somebody who comes from, um, yeah, studying a different discipline and then doing journalism. Like mm -hmm. I, I have a friend who had a, a zoology degree and she really wanted to do science journalism. And so that really, um, yeah, it, it, it really, set her apart, I think, from other mm -hmm. people who might just come to it being interested in animals. Yeah, for sure. Super cool. So what prompted you to become a freelance writer after your internships? Uh, I think that, that, that that's kind of like the, re the reality. Like there aren't too many jobs um, out there like in journalism, like in Canada. Uh, and so, I, I tried to work that as a, um, yeah, as a good thing, like to, to think that, oh, well, I could do different kinds of projects for different publications. Um, mm -hmm. I could write in different styles. I could cover different things. Interesting. And just looking based on your um, experience through LinkedIn, um, I thought it was interesting how you wrote for the South China Morning News. Um, what was your experience writing for them? Because I know it must have been so different in terms of writing for like a Vancouver-based organization, you know? Yeah, so I, uh, that was a story that I did for school that was just about, um, you know, like Vancouver's Chinatown. Um, and, you know, how do you revitalize a neighborhood that's, um, yeah, going through a bit of a decline? Um, so it, it wasn't too different actually, but yeah, I think, I think whenever you are writing for a publication that's like based somewhere else, there's a lot of context that you have to slide in there. So people who is just like, oh, like, you know, what's Vancouver? Like, what is this place? So you fill in a lot more of, of the history for them. Um, yeah, yeah, that's about it. Okay, kind of moving into your current role and and what you, how you write stories now. Um, I know that Kat and I were very used to writing academic pieces and kind of being forced to, into different areas where you have, you have to write about these topics or these topics. And when it comes to creative writing and, and kind of getting to pick our own topics, it can always be really overwhelming. So where do you get your inspiration for new stories? Do you have a kind of, not a hack, but do you have kind of a routine that you do for certain places you go to look for, for new stories? Yeah, so I think as somebody who grew up in Vancouver, um, I actually don't know too many journalists who are actually from here. So writing about like my home city really helps. Um, one story that I always like to tell is that, um, uh, so I, I, my, my grandfather, like growing up, he's, he's always had uh, a vegetable garden. And so he would grow like coyote squash, he'd grow like different kinds of melons, beans, um, stuff like that. Uh, and so we, we ate that you know, all of growing up. Um, and it was a very big deal, like in our, in our neighborhood to have a vegetable garden. Uh, and so, yeah, he would, he would give us produce. He would give some to his neighbors. They would trade tips. Um, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't just like a Chinese immigrant thing, but like a lot of different immigrants uh, who lived nearby, they also did this too. So there was like a Greek guy across the street from him who grew really, really big tomatoes. Um, there's like, yeah, another Portuguese family. Um, there's like Vietnamese families as well. 
Uh, and then around the time that I got into journalism, I started reading a lot of these pieces that were about how urban farming was this brand new thing in Vancouver. And they used a lot of phrases like, uh, like urban farming revolution or like a, a new way of building community. Um, and I, I had heard of, you know, um, this kind of like resurgence happening in like the US and like, you know, in Brooklyn. It's like, oh, well, who would have thought that in an urban environment um, that you could grow produce? Um, and so I, I was kind of uh, upset because this wasn't a, a reality that I was familiar with, like in the city, right? Like I felt that, um, well, by saying that what other people were doing is new, kind of erases the fact that, well, a lot of people have been doing this for a really, really long time, right? Like, and they've also been um, building community for a really long time. Like, um, you know, I, I know my grandpa would like give seeds to other people and stuff like that. So um, I, it, it made me realize that just because something is news and appears in print, whether it's online or on the page, doesn't mean that it's necessarily like 100% true or 100% like un unbiased because it still comes from somebody sitting down to write a piece uh, and that person, you know, has their own background and they also, you know, they might not even have that much time. So they might be cranking it out in a day, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so it made me realize that, you know, it, news is not um, no, 100% impartial, even though that is something that a journalist might strive to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I was like, okay, well, since I saw that piece um, and how uh, there was a gap in it, I was like, I'm gonna try to fill that gap to write my own piece. And so I, I did this piece on, yeah, immigrant seniors who grew um, veggies in their backyards. And so I felt really happy to see that when, um, yeah, it came out on the front page of the Courier. Um, it was a couple who did this um, and they had, you know, it was really incredible, like trellises of um, like beans, melons, just like everything. So um, I, I think as a, as a strategy really for the kinds of stories that I like to do is just to, um, yeah, do pieces that other people aren't doing. Um, and uh, yeah, write, write, write what other people aren't writing too. So um, I think for me, as somebody who's always liked to explore, um, being very indiscriminate about um, like where you go, like what kind, what kind of stuff that you, you see is also really important. So I know a lot of, um, like since I read about the city, uh, a lot of people who consider themselves like urbanists who, who really love the city, they say um, that like, oh, well, it's no way to ever drive. You know, you got it. You got to walk. You got to bike. You got to take things like really slowly to be able to absorb it, which I think is, you know, for for good reason. Right. Um, but, for example, like Vancouver is not all just the downtown. It's not all just like, every, you know, everywhere has a bike path. Everywhere has a seawall. Uh, mm -hmm. Vancouver is very, very suburban at the same time, too. And mm -hmm. so, you know, places like Richmond or places like Surrey, um, you do have to get in a car to be able to explore it. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, cars have a lot of faults of their own too. But I think that as, as somebody who is a journalist, it's really important to um, know the language of whatever place it is that you're visiting. So if you're visiting a place that is very suburban, they have a lot of highways, there is a lot of plazas, uh, it's important to experience it, how the people who actually live there experience it. And so, yeah, if you don't get in a car, for example, you won't be able to understand how people in Surrey live. It's like, why are there so many big box stores? Um, you know, why are there, um, you know, why do families always buy like so much in bulk? Like that's all part of just living in a place that's really, really big. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, my advice for somebody who wants to um, really get to know a place and write stories about a place is to, yeah, just explore really indiscriminately. Like if you like to eat, that's great. Like, go ahead and eat everything. Explore in whatever <laughs> mode it is, like get on a bike, uh, but also get in a car, also get on transit as well. Uh, and, and yeah, just, you know, not just indoor and outdoor. Like I always try to find, you know, where's, where are the public washrooms in a place? Where, where's the center of gravity in a place? Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe it's in a food court where, um, you know, people are gathering to play chess because they have nothing to do. Um, I know that in Richmond, there's a, you know, there's, there's certain stores that have like, you know, they play movies um, just in, their, in the store window. And then sometimes there'll be a crowd. Um, so I like to me, it's really fun to yeah, get, get into a new neighborhood and try to find how people are living their life there. And then from that, um, uh, you know, as an outsider, you begin to start asking questions. So who actually lives here? Um, you know, what's old, what's new? Where does the old and new like press up against each other? Um, so, oh, it's like 
why is there a Starbucks reserve, for example, like in this, you know, um, older neighborhood uh, in the city? So uh, yeah, I think once you begin to ask those kinds of questions, then you start to um, get a lot of story ideas. Yeah, for sure. As someone who grew up, I don't live there anymore. I moved out recently, but I grew up in New Westminster and I feel like it's very under, under, not appreciated, <laughs> but it's just under understood, if that makes sense. Because I grew up in a, a quite nice neighborhood in it, but a lot of people who drive through New West or SkyTrain through or bus through New West, they don't really see the parts that I know, like inside and out, like all the different neighborhoods and stuff. Like a lot of people just drive through the uptown or downtown area yeah. or the outskirts. Um, and so I always find it really interesting whenever there's like a story about something else about New West or um, good and bad. I always think it's really interesting because I know that city, like I lived there for 20 years, grew up in like born, raised, everything. So um, I always find it really interesting. And it, that's even more besides like, I would say it's probably a little bit more transitable than Surrey mm -hmm. and Richmond because there's like four SkyTrain stops and so many buses. So um, yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, yeah. Kind of following up on that, does your interest in photography, you kind of talked about just being a very like immersive person, you like to go and, and go to places, does your interest in photography play into um, your new stories because you have a kind of a visual eye for actually wanting to, to see things and open your eyes and notice things about people? Yeah, um, I mean, everybody has a camera now, so <laughs> like on the <laughs> phone. So, I mean, I would think that if you're if you're going out and you're doing an interview, um, and you happen to be, you know, you're physically there anyway, like you're not doing it on the on the phone. Mm -hmm. um, it's great to just like snap pictures, like whenever you can. Um, and I, I, yeah, I feel like that visual element really, really adds to the piece, um, especially when there is a way that you could, you know, show something that you can't, like when you're writing it through the text. Mm -hmm. So. For example, I, I once wrote this really, really dense piece about um, like rezoning policy, um, like developers and like city hall. And I think it's, yeah, like when you see details like that in, in a piece, like all of that text, it might not be the most exciting thing, but I was able to take this picture, which just showed, you know, it was just a Vancouver house and tons of towers in the background. And I think, you know, that's something that, you know, if you live in Vancouver, it's a site that you would see all of the time. And so, um, yeah, asking like a question, like in the headlines, just like, oh, how did our city come to be this way? Having a picture like that hopefully would, you know, pull people in. Um, yeah, because it's something that would pique their interest about like, oh, like, you know, I've seen this so many times, but I don't really know like the nuts and bolts of how it works. Yeah, totally. You kind of touched upon this earlier in your answer, but um, I, I, and I know Jen can attest to this too, but as communication students, like right now we're actually taking a class, it's called um, Communications 331, but it's basically just on news media and journalism. And it's, uh, it's called News Discourses Political Communication. Yes, I could not for think those, of it on the top of my those, head. <laughs> for those who would like to know the specific course name, yeah, <laughs> we're plugging super, the course. <laughs> super interesting course, super fun. Um, but we hear a lot of the motives behind journalism and um, I was curious to know, like, as someone who works for a local, like, smaller news organization, like, what was your goal or drive to enter, to enter the industry and um, decide what stories to report on? Yeah, um, I think it's very much just being a, a local who grew up here, and I didn't really see the kinds of people or the kinds of places that I, I grew up going to um, reflected in the news. A lot of the time, you know, I see articles on, you know, it's about downtown or it's about Gastown, about Mount Pleasant. Um, if you don't know too much about Vancouver, it's, you know, it's really the the hipper neighborhoods that you would see in like a like a postcard of the city or in like, you know, YouTube videos about the city, right? Um, and started thinking about that. And, you know, does that mean all the other parts of the city are not important? Um, and, you know, I didn't think so as, as somebody who, who lived there. And so, um, yeah, you know, uh, you know, Jen, you mentioned like New West earlier, right? And everybody has a picture of New West. And I think everybody has like a preconceived notion of what a particular place might be like. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that's why it's so important to have journalists of different kinds of backgrounds um, to bring their perspective and, you know, the communities that they're, they're a part of uh, into their coverage of the city. So yeah, for me, it's, you know, it's very much about, um, I guess, yeah, myth busting some of the misconceptions that people have. Uh, and also, you know, showcasing a lot of the people who live here who don't often show up in news. 
Um, like for the, the urban farmers piece that I did, when I, when I approached a lot of these seniors, um, I, I, you know, they, they're not really plugged into like a formal organization. Like if you're writing about, um, I don't know, like the environment, right? There's so many nonprofits you could choose from to call up uh, and then they, you know, very quickly like give you a quote. But for somebody, you know, for, for a lot of these communities who, who might not speak English, um, or who might not be plugged into English news media, they're a lot harder to find. Um, and so I, yeah, I just walk through, um, I ask people I knew, I walk through alleys to try and catch somebody who is actually doing gardening like in the summer. Mm. And a lot of them, you know, when they were talking to me, they were saying like, oh, well, why do you want to talk to me? You know, why don't you go talk to this expert instead? Or, you know, my story's not very interesting. Uh, and I and and whether it was for that or like people who owned um, like restaurants in different parts of town, uh, I once wrote a story about uh, families who lived together with three generations under one roof. So you know, grandparents and the grandkids. And for a lot of them, they were like, "Oh well, why you know why are you interviewing me? Um, you know, what, I, I don't get what's so interesting about this." And and one restaurant even asked if I um, if they needed to pay me for me to interview them. Um, as if it was some some kind of like advertorial. Um, so I, yeah, I think there's just there's just so many communities here who who you know, don't really have an idea that you know their um, I guess the the role that they play in the city might be interesting to others. And so yeah, as a, as a journalist, you know I like if if we all just kept our heads down and just reported the news from press releases or whatever, you know we wouldn't get a lot of that reality that's happening in our own backyard. So I think mm -hmm. it's really really important to use journalism as a tool to help people to get to know their neighbors too, especially if it's groups that um, are already underrepresented uh, because without stories that really show, you know, who they are as people, it's really, really easy in my opinion to stigmatize who might be the newcomer or who might be the person, you know, um, who's like low income in our city. Yeah, for sure. Definitely even have a powerful role to kind of, it's, it's a good form of education as, kind of a lack, lack of a better word, but kind of awareness about your surroundings. Mm -hmm. And to jump on that point about, I was going to bring this up earlier, you, you brought it back up again about the backyard farming. I mean, my parents have always been really into gardening and now we have a, a bigger place where they, they have their kind of summer home and they have their whole veggie garden there. But my grandparents who actually live in Ladner, they're um, Chinese immigrants as well. And they always used to have, like they owned a farm. Their whole main income was a farm oh, wow. when my dad was growing up but they also had a backyard with like, they grew corn in their backyard. It was <laughs> kind of crazy. They had like one corn stalk row and they had like strawberries and pumpkins. They grow pumpkins every year. So yeah, it's definitely an under um, appreciated. Cause I remember that in around, I feel like around 2014 ish is when I feel like my friends in new West, um, which in the, my area that I was living was quite um, Caucasian. I feel like a lot of them started to get into gardening and get into um, growing their own food and I was like this is not new <laughs> this is not new like my grandparents have been giving me pumpkins for Halloween since I was like born so yeah it's, it's interesting they live out in Ladner and they've been growing things my dad my, my grandpa used to deep fry stuff in the backyard with like a big oh, vat so cool. like he was just he was so like make it all yourself like he hated to like go out and buy stuff when he knows he can do it himself so I think that's a cool that's a cool story and I want to look that up after um yeah so about your kind of freelance and your current position, what was the, what's the contrast between, cause you worked as a freelance journalist for the TAI and also a permanent, um, like a, a full-time job. What, what have you noticed a change between those two positions? Is one just a little bit more um, transient or what, do you have anything to say on that? Yeah. Um, I think freelancing as a journalist isn't too different from doing any other kind of freelance work um, in, in like a creative profession. So, you know, whether it's you're making your own jewelry or um, making zines or whatever, um, like it's, it's something that's really hard to put like a full income like together if you were to like try and freelance doing what you're really passionate about full time. Um, so yeah, when I, when I was freelancing, I was really lucky that I, I had a part-time job with the TAI as, you know, kind of like my main bread and butter gig. Uh, and then on the side, that's when I did all of my freelancing stuff for other publications. Mm -hmm. So starting out, like if, yeah, if there really isn't a full-time job that you're able to dive into right away, um, you know, and I know a lot of people who will, you know, do something, uh, with a bit more stable income, like working, you know, at a restaurant or working at a bank. 
Uh, and then they're doing their creative thing, like, um, yeah, part-time and trying to build that up. Um, so yeah, when I, when I was doing that freelancing, it was, um, you know, it was nice that people knew that the, the kinds of things I was interested in, like I'm trying to surface, you know, these stories about the city that might not be told as often in the mainstream. Um, and so it really helps to develop some kind of expertise that people know you for, or, or just something unusual, right? And so when you, when you pitch that to an editor, then they know like, oh, okay, this person is like the right person to do this story. Or if they reject a pitch that you have, um, you know, later on, right, they might, um, they might think of you when they do need you. So I was never able to write for The Guardian, but in The Guardian, there was a story about, it was some kind of really rare bird that started showing up in Surrey. I want to say swans, but I might be wrong. But um, yeah, The Guardian had rejected my pitches, but then they're like, oh, hey, swans in Surrey, let's call up Chris. And I couldn't do that at the time. <laughs> Um, but I think, yeah, by being, by being known for something as, or as like a go-to person, like for an editor, that's really, really helpful because when they're in the pinch, they know to reach out to you too. You talked about this earlier as well, but I just remember, um, your story about the, the lady that just got super, I don't, I don't want to say mad, but like had a negative kind of feedback with your one of your stories so I was wondering like how do you navigate through that like with any threats or is that like the most challenging part of your job or like your career right now or uh, it's a big part of it yeah I think for me personally because I I'm like I'm quite introverted even though I do a job where I have to connect with so many people mm -hmm. and so I really really don't like um, pissing people off mm -hmm. um, e even if yeah it's yeah, it's just, uh, it, it, it would make me not sleep <laughs> if, I, if I knew that somebody was mad at me, even if, even if I knew that they were wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, I really just think about, you know, what is it that I'm trying to do in my job, right? Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to tell a story, I'm trying to present information in the best way that I can, um, with the most reliable sources that I can, in the most balanced way um, that I can possibly do it. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, even if you are able to do all of that, like you are still going to upset some people at the end of the day. That's and so I think, I think by having, um, yeah, just like a very rigorous process of like, oh, well, this is how I did it. Um, it you know, I, I really trust the work that I put into writing this particular piece. Um, like, I'm sorry you're upset. I think, yeah, that's, I think that's the best thing that you can do. Just accept that um, whatever that you're writing about, like, there are going to be people who are way more passionate about it than you are. They probably read up about it like every single day. And so, yeah, like sometimes you might get something wrong. Um, or even if you don't get something wrong, you might uh, privilege a perspective that they don't think should be in the news. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so it, you know, on that peacock note, like it might be like a really big peacock lover who's really upset um, that there's all this attention. Uh, but if you're just covering like, oh, well, this is just what's happening in the city. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, you know, it might be good or bad, but I'm showcasing both good or bad um, arguments, like in my piece, um, you know, then you, I think that, that the journalist has then done their due diligence. Yeah, for sure. That's true. Yeah. Cause I know for me, like as a student, as a communication student, like I'm kind of more hesitant to go into journalism and it's mainly because even like if I'm writing like a blog post, I get worried about like any feedback from like the audience and I'm always so cautious or like worried about what I'm saying so I was just like how do these journalists especially like from a more, a more local perspective like how do they handle that kind of um, feedback or yeah and I think the other thing too is um you know, this is something like journalism is something that comes out like every day, right? So even if I, I tell myself, even if I don't get something 100% right, um, or even if I feel like a story is um, incomplete, uh, but is really, really important, I want to get it out anyway. And then hopefully, you know, somebody else will pick up on my research and then do more of their own, or someone else will continue the conversation. So when I, you know, when I did that farming piece, um, I, I didn't, I couldn't find any research on people who was doing this kind of backyard gardening um, or whether it was, you know, specifically like an immigrant thing. All I could do was talk to as many people as I could, um, like an expert, and then put it all together uh, and then hope that, you know, somebody else later on might do more in-depth research. Um, but I, I felt that it was a, it was a perspective that was missing and, a, it, and an important enough perspective um, that deserved me 
putting it out, even though I didn't have, um, yeah, any kind of academic thing to like back it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think part of the, this isn't a question, but it's just a contribution to the conversation. I think that part of what Kat mentioned about the feedback and being nervous about feedback, I think it partly stems from being on social media, especially with Twitter. You see a lot of people, I, I mean, with, with like cancel culture and stuff, you see a lot of people get um, in trouble and criticized for their opinions. And, you know, there's opinions that very well should be criticized, but there's also some things, if you just get a, a simple fact wrong, it immediately becomes, uh, you're wrong about everything. And it, I think that's definitely something that's a problem. I think it's less of a might be less of a problem in journalism. It depends on if you read the comment section, but <laughs> on Twitter, it's kind of like right there. You can't really ignore the comments. So yeah, yeah. I mean, thankfully there's the mute button um, for people yes. who are being over the top. Uh, <laughs> but I, I also try not to um, do too much of that if I if I think that person is um, trying to engage like in a real way and has a reasonable yeah, perspective. So exactly. like I would, you know, if I, you know, in my in my beat, I can't just write about all the things that I necessarily, you know, agree with personally, I got to listen to the other side as well. Mm -hmm. And I would think that, you know, in that back and forth, I would come out with some better work at the end of the day. Yeah, there's, a, it's, there's healthy critique for sure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I guess kind of a more general uh, question that you could take this how you will and whether or not you want to talk about, you know, personal life or career life, but um, what has the news and publishing industry taught you in general? Like what's your biggest takeaway about it? Hmm. Oh, I'm gonna have to think about that one. <laughs> well, I feel like there's just not enough perspectives out there. Um, yeah, so it's like, you know, it's, I, I, you know, referring to the farming thing again, you know, it's not, it's not incorrect to say that there are new people who are interested in doing urban farming, right? Like, it's just that it's not, um, it's not the full picture. And so I think a lot of the time, yeah, you know, stories, they don't really get that full picture. Um, you know, it might, it might just be people are crunched for time. Um, or if you don't, um, you might not have like uh, academic theory to help uh, try to back up like what you're saying, um, or to know that something that happening in the city, something that's happening in the city is not necessarily like unique or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, like I know, like, um, you know, as, as somebody who is like a, a Chinese born Canadian, I've, I've read, there's so, so many stories about um, Chinatown, like people report on Chinatown all the time. And it's not that that's, um, uh, you know, incorrect or that there isn't stuff happening there. Uh, but it's, it makes me think about, oh, well, what about um, all of the other places in the region where um, newcomers are landing, right? Like we don't, there's not that many stories about um, Richmond, for example, you know, which is a very large Chinese community. Whenever people write about, um, you know, Chinese investors in like real estate and how that's pushing up prices, um, very rarely do they ever talk to an actual like investor uh, and ask like, hey, like, why did you choose to come over here? Um, you know, why are you so wealthy and all that? Um, so I think without, without a lot of, you know, those human perspectives of like different parts of the city, you know, we, we, we start to get a really, really narrow view uh, of who shares the city with us. Um, so yeah, one of the, you know, one, some, one of the things that I've always been fascinated by is Asian malls, because we have so many of those in, um, in Vancouver, um, yeah, particularly like in Richmond. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and, and one over here near where I live is, is Crystal Mall. And I feel yeah, like, yeah. you know, like people don't really, I've, I've never really read any pieces about those places. And yet they're just as um, much of a neighborhood, but inside a mall as any other neighborhood, right? Like it's, you know, Vancouver, we're so concerned about, you know, uh, local produce, you know, you can get local produce, um, local production, you know, people make like, um, like tofu or like, like fresh noodles over there, um, local businesses, well, all of them are like mom and pops, right? Like you're not going to find um, the gap inside Crystal Mall or, or New York Fries. Like every single stall there is run by some family who's um, selling some kind of cuisine that's, you know, specific to what they know. Um, and so it was just weird to me that, you know, so many of these places hit a lot of the things that Vancouverites really, really care about, but maybe because on the outside, it's a different kind of container. Um, they're not really paying attention to it. So I wrote this piece about how, um, yeah, Crystal Mall really was like this neighborhood in its own. Um, it has, you know, it, it hits all of those local things that I mentioned earlier, and it's very much like a community hub, like people sing there, uh, politicians go there, Burnaby politicians go there to, um, yeah, to 
get people to know them all the time, like shake hands, take pictures and all that. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, like highlighting a place like that that doesn't often show up in the media to me was really, really important. And I, I, I then later um, read this letter from um, the, the daughter of a family who ran one of the stalls there. And then she said um, that, you know, like growing up, like I really hated being, um, you know, having to like help out uh, at the mall, like with my family. I really wanted to like hang out with my friends. Uh, but then, you know, after seeing like her family interviewed in the piece, like I talked to her mom and dad, uh, she was saying she got like a new appreciation for the kind of role that they played um, in serving people this um, cultural food that was really, really comforting to them. Um, and so, yeah, I think everybody deserves to see, um, you know, the kind of community that they lived in and the world that they inhabit reflected back to them in media too, um, just to let them know that it's important and mm -hmm. to let people who aren't familiar with that world, um, you know, to let them know that that does exist. And there's other people who are very different from them who are yeah, coexisting alongside them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny because when you said, um, when you brought up the malls, my brain immediately went to Crystal Mall. <laughs> I go to Metro Town all the time as a new US native. So that's so funny. Yeah, who doesn't love Crystal Mall? <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's so, it's so interesting. Yeah, and it's cool how you talked about how it's like its own neighborhood within kind of a mall because I immediately I thought it's such a special community. It's so different from, it's right beside Metro Town. It's right in the middle of Burnaby. So it's really the heart of Burnaby, that area kind of. And I was, I always thought it was really interesting. I want to go read that piece after we get off this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's the thing. It's so central. It's like right by the Sky Train. But I think, yeah, just because a place isn't necessarily part of a world that you inhabit, you might just look it over. Um, and I think that goes for for any street, like in downtown. If it's, um, you know, if I if I only eat meat, for example, and I don't like salad, I'm gonna gloss over all of the salad options that there are. Um, and so, yeah, if you don't speak a certain language or if, um, I don't know, you're not into whatever it is, it's very, very easy to, to gloss over all of that stuff when you're going through the city. For sure. No, oh, yeah, I think like um, organizations like the tie-in, like journalists like yourself are so important now just because it brings like a, a more personal level to the industry itself. Like you mentioned, just like, making the people who actually live in those communities like have their voices heard i like i know i live i live in richmond and i feel like the perspective that other people who aren't from the city have on it is just so different so i think people should pay more attention to like journalists like yourself and stories like that um especially like if they're wanting to understand vancouver or bc you know yeah I mean? yeah i mean and it's not that those places aren't 100% uncovered, but sometimes when, when there is journalism done about a place um, that isn't often in the news, it might be about something bad. So, yeah. you know, I remember there was, there was somebody who used to go to my high school who was, um, he was shot in a car uh, in Richmond. And that, that, so that crime story was very much part of it. Um, you, know, uh, you know, mega mansions on, on like Richmond farmland, that was a really mm -hmm. big story as well. Um, a few years back, there was this huge debate about how Richmond's signs had like too much Chinese on them and like yeah. not enough English. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're just somebody who, who's never been to Richmond and you're reading about all of that stuff, just like, oh, wow, this is a place that has a lot of crime. It has a mm -hmm. lot of, you know, rich people who are trying to like eat up farmland, um, you know, and, and with like the signs thing, it gives you an impression that the people who live there, oh, they're not interested in um like Canadian society they're just here yeah. to like hide like on their own um that's really skews your perspective of a place like whether it's Richmond or anywhere else like I know Surrey gets really bad rap for a lot of things oh definitely too. yeah for yeah sure. so, so that's why it's so so important that you have people who you know who cover different places but also cover it um uh, from the perspective of different communities as well and it's not to say that you know whenever sometimes when I've brought this up they're just like oh well you don't care about crime or you don't care about <laughs> you don't care about farms um but it's really just showing like a like a fuller story right and yeah, you... and a lot of the time if they're focusing on on stuff like that they don't even interview the people that they're writing about mm -hmm. You can kind of do both. You can you can definitely care about crime while also caring about representing the community in a fair way, for sure. <laughs> um, there was a story actually about I saw this briefly. I think it was a CBC story, and they interviewed a whole bunch of um, 
teenagers, I think probably closer to like 18 years old um, who are from Surrey and they talked about it and they asked them how they felt about the rep of Surrey. And if they go to different places and they say, oh, I'm from Surrey immediately, they get this like preconceived notion about yeah. who they are. And um, they were kind of talking about how it, it feels very unfair. And it definitely matters because even in such a small, small area of the world, right? Like Greater Vancouver, there's so many different preconceived notions about different areas, even though it's all in one, like we're all part of the same city basically. So yeah, mm -hmm, that's very exactly. interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's the responsibility of, of journalists to do that kind of work too, right? Like. Mm -hmm. Um, a reader might be like, oh, well, why are you just interviewing some kids? Like, you know, they don't know anything about like where they live. This is just like a, a yeah. fluff piece about journalism too. Uh, but it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's important to highlight the voices of, of people who don't often get to share. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. I mean, I guess to just wrap it up, I'm just looking at the time. Um, what advice can you give to others who are interested in pursuing um, journalism or a career path similar to yours? Yeah, uh, I think it's important to just have curiosity. I think I think if you want to be a journalist, you're naturally curious anyway. Mm -hmm. But um, but really, like using the job to pursue things that you're uh, interested in really makes the time like go by. Um, like for me, like COVID, um, yeah, like I mean, last year really, really flew by because I, you know, I, what I really cared about was like talking to people and how they experience everyday life. Um, and so doing that, you know, it, it made me not really feel like I was doing like a nine to five job, but really just doing what I really, really enjoy. Um, and that really helped me too when I was freelancing because, I mean, sadly, the pay is not always going to be good. Um, and I'm not saying that. So people who are interested in journalism should like sell themselves short. But I think that if you're if you're chasing something that you're really, really interested in and you're using journalism as an excuse to interview um, people that you've been curious about like anyway right like if there's a, a restaurant that you've always wanted to um, you know to know like what goes on behind the curtain or if it's a hero of yours that you want to know like how they got their start um, yeah it's just uh, you know like it's very it's very enriching like for you as somebody who's trying to seek some kind of truth out um, and hopefully it'd be interesting for like a big audience as well um, yeah, I, yeah. So I think it's a, it's, it's. I've, I've really enjoyed doing this job in that way because it's really an excuse for me to, um, you know, bother people that I've always wanted to, to bother. Um, and yeah, like, and and slowly, like, if you don't know what your expertise is, like, over time, you'll, you know, gravitate to certain interests. Um, and I think that really helps to, uh, yeah, differentiate yourself and what kind of stories that you like to tell from your perspective. Um, so for example, like I, you know, I, I, I'm really into bubble tea and I've written a couple of stories about bubble tea. So when I was trying to convince my editor, <laughs> sorry, what were you saying? I just said, I have to read. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, you know, when I was convincing, like my editor was like, oh, well, why is this a story? Um, I was like, oh, well, you know what? Like I've been drinking it for almost 20 years. Like I've had it once or twice a week, like all my life. Once I had like three cups in a day. Um, I've been to almost everywhere in town, like I've had it in a dozen cities around the world. And, um, you know, I'm seeing something very new that's happening in the city. You know, for example, in the past six years, like there's a lot of new uh, franchises that have been opening up. Chaw time. Yeah. And so I was like, I was like, this is really different because it used to be just this drink that might be some colorful powder. Um, but now it's it's turned into something that people treat like cocktails or fancy espresso, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think, and I was like, charting this evolution is really, really important. Um, and so I was like, yeah, this is why then we have to do the story. This is why like, I have to be the one to do this story too. And, and it gave me an excuse to interview, you know, some shops that I've been curious about. So um, yeah, just love what you do, do what you love. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> that's yeah. so interesting. I would have never thought to write anything about like bubble tea in that context. Kat's going to go write a full op-ed about I tea. will. Just a quick random question. What is your favorite bubble tea spot in Vancouver? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> it's really hard to best. say. I, I mean, I'll have to just go for like nostalgia's sake and say like I, I went to Dragon Ball a lot um, when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's at um, King Ed and Oak. And it was really great oh, because so yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, it was open late. Um, I think it was open past midnight, but it was like, um, yeah, like everybody from our school used to go there. Like you didn't just have to be Asian, like everybody would go there. Um, and it was near two of the private schools as well, like York House and Little Flower. Yeah. And so when we would go there, we'd see like, you know, people from from those schools coming over too. And um, yeah, it was nice to see like such, it's a really, really small store, but it would be packed with like all sorts of different kinds of people from all sorts of different ages. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and everyone gathered like around this one drink. Well, Kat, when we can finally hang out again after COVID, I'll take you there because that's really close to where I live right now. <gasps> okay, I'm yeah. always up for a new bubble place. <laughs> yeah, I remember when Chaw Time came to New West right a couple of years ago. I didn't know I didn't know it, but everyone said, "Oh, that's such a big place." Like people, that that place is lined yeah. up the door in Vancouver and in Richmond, and uh, I never actually got to go because it came and I just. I was like basically leaving the city in the same time it came, but um, we also had Bubble World in New West. I'm not sure if you yeah, 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 World. That oh, yeah. A big That's thing. a huge yeah. spot for New West locals to go. Yeah, here too in Richmond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, it was really amazing talking to you today. Um, yeah, thanks so much for inviting me. Um, hope that helps. But I'm I'm not hard to find online. So if anybody ever has any questions about media or storytelling or Vancouver, feel free to reach out. Mm-hmm. For sure. Do you want to plug any of like our, your social media or your website or anything you'd want um, our viewers to know or where to find uh, you? Listeners, listeners. <laughs> oh my goodness. You, yes. Listeners. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry guys. <laughs> if you just Google, uh, yeah, Chris Chung, Vancouver um, journalist, you, you can find me on everything. So yeah, reach out to me however you like. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Chris. And thank, thank you for you. bringing a very, I don't know, it was a very interesting side of journalism for me to hear about, especially um, more focused in Vancouver and very close, to our, yeah, very close to our community too. So thank you. Yeah, thank Bye. you so much. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. This was episode number two of Careers and Communications with CMNSU and Friends. If you enjoyed it, give us a follow on Instagram at CMNSU and check out our website at cmnsu.com to stay updated on the latest news about events and other fun things we'll be doing. Next week, we'll be joined by Lizzie Clow. See you then.